So little Johnny was a bright four-year-old. And so he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want a baby brother. And his dad, being a very smart and intelligent 35-year-old, said, You know what, Johnny? I believe that if you will pray to God for two months straight, that at the end of two months, God's going to bring you a little baby brother. He said, okay, Dad, I'm going to do it. And every night he went to bed and he prayed for a little brother. But after about 30 days, he's like, I don't know if this is really real, if this is really going to work. So he stopped praying. A whole month went by without him praying after having prayed the first month. And sure enough, his mom ended up at the hospital. And after a few hours, they called little Johnny into the room. And there, snuggled up against mom, was this beautiful towel, this beautiful blanket, blue blanket. And they brought little Johnny up and set him up on the bed and pulled back the blanket. And there was not one little brother, but two little brothers. They had had twins. And his dad looked down at him. He said, now, little Johnny, aren't you glad that you prayed like daddy taught you to pray? And he said, yep. He said, but dad, aren't you glad that I stopped when I did? We're going to be talking about prayer today in the next two weeks. Uh, we're, we're going to do a little series that we're calling How They Prayed. How They Prayed. We'll look, uh, this week we'll look at how Jesus prayed. Uh, why did Jesus pray? What did he pray about? What were the scenarios that he prayed in? Uh, and the next week we'll look at the New Testament leaders, what they prayed about. Uh, as we see in the New Testament and the apostles and the different ones wrote, uh, that wrote scripture, what, what were they praying about? What was happening uh, in their life and what kind of learning can we get, if you will, um, from what they prayed. My goal with this whole two-part series is, number one, that you and I would once again value prayer, that we would recognize that if the King of Glory prayed, uh, if Jesus prayed, we probably should be people of prayer, and that also that you and I would place a high value on prayer instead of always trying to work it in our own strength, that we would recognize that, the, that God is for us and laboring for us and working for us. And uh, some of the burdens that we're carrying is because we do not bring it to the Lord in prayer. To quote an old hymn. <clears throat> Thank you. You guys over 40. Thank you. Anyway, um, and so with that being said, we're going to jump into to, uh, to teaching you today on how Jesus prayed, what that was like and what that looked like. Father, I pray that over the next couple of minutes that you would help me to train your people in what's important to you. That, Lord God, that you would um, speak to our hearts and minister to our minds. And, Lord, point out to us where we have been carrying these burdens and trying to make life happen in our own strength, and we haven't actually come before you. And, Lord, we ask you now, Lord God, to train us, teach us, empower us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. So as I started into the preparation of this, I, I did like most people. I wanted to Google and see what is Google, because Google knows everything, and Google never lies. What is the definition of prayer based on what Google had to say? And the initial definition that came up on Google was that Google was a petition, a petitioning a God. And I went, eh, that's a lie. And then so then what I did was I went to Webster and, and, and looked at what Le- Webster said. And Webster actually got it right. Webster identified prayer. Write it down, please. Prayer is a spiritual communion with God. See, here's the difference. What Google was trying to say was that we have this um, non-relationship happening and we come and we bring petitions before a God and we hope that that God responds to us. And if he does or they do or it does, then good. And if it doesn't see, I told you it didn't really exist. Whereas the actual proper definition of prayer, come on Christians, is that you and I actually commune with the God who is our Father, our Savior, the lover of our soul. Come on somebody. And we get 
to have communion with them. We get to interact with them. Now, if you're like me, um, I'm a little different personality. You know, people always ask me, so do you see the glass half empty or half full? I don't see either one. I want to know why we have a glass. I'm constantly asking, so why we have, you know, why do we do it that way? Is that the best way? Is there a better way? I'm always thinking, like, could we do something different? Like, why do we have to, you know, like, for example, those of you that were here a couple weeks ago, my folks bought me a little segue. And so, see, now I can pray twice as fast late at night up here at the church by running around on a Segway. I cut my prayer time in half because I don't have to walk it every seat. I try to walk every seat, lay my hands and pray that when you sit and when you're here that revelation would come to you. Now I cut it down in half. So see, why walk? Segway the rest of our life. We don't even need legs. I have a plan. Anyway, the point being is, and so the, I, had this, I had this season where I was thinking things like, you know, why did Jesus pray? Why would he need to pray? He's God. What's he praying about? Who's he praying to? Hey, me, I think I need this. Okay, I'll give that to you. I mean, it would be kind of weird, right? Why? And, so, and, and just thinking through, why did Jesus, if he's God, why did he need to pray? And so I want to give you three theological thought processes on that that you know, is accurate to help you even grasp that. And I think we can learn from it. The first reason that Jesus prayed is because he was both human and divine nature. He had both a human and a divine nature. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that is, is that Jesus came in the form of a man and he was born to a woman. He had full human nature. He also, though, was God incarnate, so he had full divine nature. So you had these natures at work in him, just like it's at work in us. So when you were born, you were not born a Christian. I don't care what your grandma told you. You were not born a Christian. I don't care if you grew up in the church your whole life. You were born in sin. You were born in your human nature, in your failed, flawed personality, uh, way of thinking, and life, in the world in which we live, our humanity. And this is what the Bible talks about, that we're constantly trying to crucify our sin nature. But when you became a Christian, what happened was you became filled with the Holy Spirit. Now all of a sudden the divine nature of God began to live inside of you. So that doesn't mean that the human nature went away. That's why some of you that are kind of new to Christ, you're still trying to figure out why do I still want to smoke a blunt but yet then I feel bad about it. Why? Because you are full of your human nature but you've now got the power of God flowing in you. The Spirit of the Lord, divinity is in you and so there's this conflict constantly. That's why even though I've been saved, you know, almost 30 something years now, I still have that conflict. Jesus, when he came to earth, still had that conflict. But what happened was his divine nature empowered him not to give into his sin nature. Are you there? Say yes. You and I, on the other hand, we were born into our sin nature without any divine nature. We become Christians and the divine nature comes and lives inside of us. And what's supposed to happen is our sin, human nature, our wicked humanity nature is supposed to be here. We get saved, it starts here, and then what's supposed to happen over time is that all of a sudden now we don't want to stab that person because why? Because God is convicting us, and we then we start learning to forgive that person until we get to the place right here. And I believe we get to this place and then we cross over into heaven. We ever I don't know if we ever get here, honestly. But this whole process of going from, if you will, controlled by your sin nature to being controlled by the Spirit of the living God or your divine nature that has now been breathed inside of you by the breath of God. And that's why there's this conflict for some of you. You're like, man, I don't understand, man. Um, on Sunday, I was like, I love Jesus. But by Monday, I was just like, I'm like flipping everybody off on the way to work. What's my problem? It's because you haven't learned that this nature is dying and you have to, it's a process for some of you, it took a lot longer. 
And then and the rest, some of you, like your grandma, you like, I think she was born an angel, right? And so and the reason why is because they just they just learned how to crucify the sin nature and let the Spirit of the Lord live and abide and follow that nature that God has placed within us. So Jesus, though he was divine, he also had his human nature. So he had need to pray. Here's the second piece that I would teach you on why Jesus needed to pray, even though he was God. Second one is because as an example to his followers. The second reason Jesus had to pray was as an example to his followers. In other words, Jesus has not asked you and I to do anything that he himself has not already done. He's not expected anything out of us that he himself did not already live. And as an example, now, Jesus, to help you, is our example on what it is to be a believer and to be a follower of God. Jesus is the pattern. He's the perfect pattern. So when you look in the mirror and go, oh, I don't like this about myself. I don't like that. Who are you comparing yourself to? Are you comparing yourself to, you know, little Miss Christian uh, that works with you? Are you comparing yourself to some imagery that your mom spoke over you when you were a child? Because the only person you should be comparing yourself to is Jesus Christ. He is the model. He's who we're looking at and going, oh, I don't look like that yet. Okay, okay, all right, I'm going to work that. Oh, wait, how would he have handled that? Oh, that's how he handled that with the Pharisees? Oh, wow, I did that one wrong. Okay, because he is the pattern. As a kid who grew up, you know, in high school in the 80s, can I just explain something to you? I played a lot of basketball. Do you know who was my mom? Model, who was every teenage kid's model for playing basketball? Michael Jordan. He was what we wanted to be. Now, we didn't care about Scottie Pippen or anybody else. That's great. But Michael Jordan was, if you will, the standard of perfection that we were trying to get to. So I, everything, I had the shoes. Come on, somebody. I had the wristbands. Are you with me? I even would dry, drop that 10-foot goal down to about 8 foot, and I would go and I would dunk, hold my tongue out just the way he did. Just what? Just why? Because that was, if you will, the pattern. That was the model that we were all trying. And it'd be amazing to watch people try to do his little shake and bake move, and we'd all emulate him. Jesus is our model. We're trying to emulate him. So when Jesus said, "I will go and pray," he created the model by which we should follow. That's why he prayed. Here's the third reason, and this will really help you, and I'm going to work on your theology for just a moment. The third reason that Jesus prayed, even though he was God, is because he needed, wanted, and desired communication within the Trinity. Within the Trinity. Now, let me help you a little bit. The word Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. It's a word that we as Christians use to explain the Godhead. And I know for some of you, it's a little difficult, and you're still trying to get your brain around it. And so there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see them all enacting there when Jesus is water baptized with John the Baptist. We know that Jesus is God, and he comes up out of the water. The heavens rip open, and it says, and God the Father spoke. This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit of the Lord came and rested upon him, looked like that of a form of a dove. And we see the three enacting. We see Jesus talking about the three, the other two. We see the interaction back and forth. We see that, and so we use the word Trinity. Now, some people say, well, I don't understand. How can they be separate entities, but yet be the be one. Well, I always like to explain it when I'm talking to, to folks who are kind of new to God. I always explain it like H2O. H2O. H2O is the chemical makeup of water, but I can take water in a liquid form. I can take it in a solid form and I can have it in a gas form. So there's still water. They're just in different forms. And so we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus needed this community. He needed this communion because the Trinity interacted. The, the Godheads interacted and Jesus needed that interaction. And again, remember, what is 
the definition of prayer? Let's look at it one more time. Prayer is a spiritual communion with God. So Jesus had communion. Now, I knew that when I got to this point, many of you would be looking at me like a deer, uh, like a deer in the headlights, like, what? And so let me kind of illustrate this. So I started looking for an illustration of this. So, Lord, I want to get a mental picture for every man and woman. So when they go to pray, they can see the Godhead. They can see you, three persons but one. And how do they see it? And so I began looking, and I, and I Googled, Google. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, it works. So I Googled God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and, and, and you know, together. And, and I came across this painting, this picture. I don't know how old it is, what century it's from, but it's, it's, uh, it's in a Franciscan church in, um, in Austria. And, uh, and put, the, put the picture up. So, so here's the picture that I came up with that shows kind of some artist from 300 years ago, whatever, their rendition of what it looked like as they, the Godhead, interacted. Well, here's the problem, and that is uh, Getty Images wouldn't let me um, use it. Um, I can show it to you real quick, but I can't use it for anything unless I pay a few hundred dollars. And I thought, you know what? Forget that. How about we just, we, we make our own picture. Come on, have you ever seen Late Night? So I just need, I need a couple guys who'd be willing to help me dress up and see if we can't look this same part right here, right now. And so, yeah, all right, come on, come on. You got to help me, bro. Come on. Your wife sold you out, bro. She was doing this the whole time. Come on, <laughs> you the man. Love you so much. I need one more. I need another guy. All right, come on, bro. They're pointing you out. Come on up here, man. That's awesome. Tell me your name. Rick? All right, so, uh, so Rick, we're going to let you be the Holy Spirit, bro. Here, let me help you out. There you go. You get to be the Holy Spirit. There you go. Ah, <laughs> there you go, Father God. What you what? Okay, so I'll be Jesus. Let me be Jesus then. I want to get to be Jesus. All right. Will you help me be Jesus, bro? You got to put me on right here. Put, right. Help Jesus get in place there. There you go. Yeah, Jesus, we need to get Jesus all set up. Yeah. I thought, I thought you know, since I, I wanted to look like I normally look. Um, but I, I thought it was inappropriate to take my shirt off, so I had to do this one. So, so let me look like Jesus. And then, all right, so let's, let's try to get to looking like that picture. So, Father, come sit down with me here on this spot right here. I got to get the, the I got to get it over the right shoulder. There we go. Here, hold the world in your hand if you don't mind. There you go. There you go. And I've got the cross. There we go. How we how, how we looking there? Rick, get in. I mean, Holy Ghost, get in here. All right, there we go. Did we get it? Do we got it? Is this the look? Huh? I think we got the picture beat. Don't you guys think that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We did it. Good job. Yes, stay, stay put, stay put. Now, here's the piece that I want you to understand. So Jesus has this communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So when he goes into prayer, what he's doing is he's sitting, he's being with, he's in communion with the personalities of the Godhead. And so it would probably look a little bit more like this. And the reason why I need you to get this middle picture is because most of you think that the interaction would have been coming and, and, and laying some lists down and hoping that it's okay. Now, Jesus bust up in the room. Why? Because they're family. They're communing. Hey, Dad, listen, this thing with the Pharisees is giving, oh, man, I think, I don't know. I think we ought to just kill them all. What do you think? You want to kill them all? I think you, no, may, no. Yeah, you go back to the Gospels. I think we're in trouble here. No. <laughs> no, don't. Okay, all right, then we won't. Uh, what do you think, Holy Spirit? What should we do? Don't kill them? Okay, can you give me power? Because right now I'm about to stab them all. 
Okay, give me some power. One more. All right, thank you so much. And so this communion looks more like an interaction. What is prayer? A communion with God. There's three parts of God. Communion with God and interaction. And so let me, let me, Jamie, would you come help me, sweet love? So Jamie, well, Jamie's going to be just an awesome Christian who goes to church on the hill. Okay? So Jamie, to go into prayer, let me explain to you what Jamie now has, Miss Jamie has as an access. Because... She has asked me into her life because the Holy Spirit lives and abides in her. She can boldly come into this interaction. She can boldly sit down with the Godhead and interact and say, hey, listen, I'm struggling at work with this. And what do you want me to do? Well, I'd like you to do this. Hey, well, I think the Father's already written in the Holy Word that we should do this. And Jamie can have this interaction. Why? Because the Bible says prior to Jesus Christ, there was a veil. Step on the other side of the veil, please. And no one could get to the Godhead. But when Jesus died on a cross, he rent that veil. And now she has access to come and have this relationship, this interaction is no longer a, mm, I wish I could, or no longer someone else needs to go in there for me and have a priest go do that for me because I'm not holy enough. Now what happens according to the word of God, we are joint heirs with Christ. She is a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ is, she gets access to. She can come boldly into the presence of God. She can interact with the Godhead. And as a result of that interaction, she can be strengthened. She can be empowered. She can be Directed. Come on, somebody. She can get direction and guidance. Why? Because that communion is what we're calling and what the Bible would refer to as prayer. So when we pray, and you've got to get a shift in your mentality. Some of you feel like you're just throwing stuff up against the ceiling. God, my car broke down. You up there? Don't forgive me. I'm the one who went to church finally. My wife drugged me there. I said a little prayer. Remember that, that little crazy pastor? He told me I had to pray and ask you into my life. You there? My ex-wife is messing my life up. She's got that baby mama drama. On Help! I don't hear nothing. That's a, that's a wrong mentality. The mentality is I get to come into communion. And I get to sit at the table. I get to be in the living room discussion. I get to be a part of the interaction of the God that controls the universe and the workings of the world. I get to be a part of that. And not only that, but as I'm in there, I'm not just coming. Can you imagine Jamie walking into this interaction and saying, hey, I need you all to do this. I need you to do this. And I need you to do that. That would make her God. She's not God. No, she's a joint heir. But she would come into this interaction with all respect. But she'd also come in as a daughter with all confidence. And so she would come into this not just throwing out requests, but she would come into this looking for the wisdom of the Godhead. And so when Paul says, I cried out to God, I cried out to the Lord, I had this thorn in the flesh, and I, and I, cried, I prayed that the Lord would take it away. And the Godhead said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not taking it away because there's some huge things that are going to come because of this. And so I'm going to give you grace in the midst of it. So Jamie, Paul, if she's Paul, she's able then to say, okay, hallelujah, God is good. Why? Because I have relation. I'm in communion. And I know that they have my best interest in mind. I know that I am secure in who I am because just for the fact that I get to go and commune 
means that I'm a part of the family. Come on, somebody. That I can boldly accept whatever may or may not be to what I think is my personal benefit, but what is beneficial for the overall workings of the world. And God, who loves me, would never do anything to harm me or to hurt me. But at the same time, the God who sees and knows all things would use me to bring life to others. And sometimes that may actually, actually cause some things that I'm uncomfortable with. And that's when Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Come on, will you give it up for these guys? Y'all did so good. Tony, you're the best father God we ever had. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Rick. You did so good. That was awesome. They did better than that. You can give them a better hand than that. Come on now. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. So with that being said, I now want to look at some of the scenarios that Jesus prayed in. I want to look at, and I think that by looking at, the times that Jesus actually prayed, he was in some, I want to draw out about six scenarios where Jesus found himself and we find him praying. And I think we can correlate those to our lives. So if you'll write these down with me, the first key Jesus prayer moment, as I'm calling it, number one is at his baptism. We referred to it earlier at his baptism. And we find in Luke chapter three and verse 21, it says, as he was praying, heaven was open. So Jesus goes to be water baptized. He's 30 years old. Up until this point, he's been a carpenter, is the best we can understand it. And he goes to be water baptized by John. It's kind of a, a shift in his life. It's a taking on now to go and do, and do ministry, not just from the position of where he was at, but now to begin to go from place to place doing ministry. And so he goes to be, if you will, uh, ordained or set in place or whatever. And as he is water baptized, he actually prays. And as he's praying, the heavens rip open. God speaks, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes and lights on him when I'm done. But I want to point out the fact that Jesus didn't just receive, he initiated communion, which ripped open the heavens and had a response from God. And so the reason why I say that is because some of you have gotten stuck in certain spiritual spots in your journey. You've not gone past the little place that you've gotten saved. Hey, salvation is magnificent. There's more for you. Some of you have stopped there and you don't know about the power of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of praying in other tongues. You don't have any of that. You've heard some bad stuff. You've seen some bad stuff. And so because of unbelief, you stopped right there. And what I want to challenge you to do is like Jesus did, I want to challenge you to pray and say, God, if there's more, I want it. God, if there's more for me, if there's power for me to walk in, I actually want to heal the sick and raise the dead. I actually want to do what the Christians of the Bible did. I want that. I don't want to just be that person who barely goes to church when I feel bad about my sin. I want to be the the person who actually knows you, interacts with you, and I want whatever spiritual power, whatever spiritual experiences you have for me, I want them. Would you pray that with me? Say yes. yes. Amen. I'm going to hold you to it. Here's the second key moment that we see Jesus praying, and that is prior to selecting his 12. Prior to selecting the 12. So as you read through scriptures, you find that there were multiple groupings of people following Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, to one point, 72 of them, 120 and so, if you will, here in Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus, um, he goes up on the mountain and he prays through the night. And it, it seems as though uh, the evidence is there that the disciples, those following him, were all just kind of waiting at the base of the mountain or waiting for him to come back the next morning. And when he comes back the next morning, he begins to pick his 12. I'll take you. Okay, Peter. Okay, you. And I can't, can you imagine being one of the other... <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I experienced that when I was a kid a couple, couple times playing sports. And so, and so can you imagine that moment of like, oh, I didn't get it. But he picks the 12 only after 
He had prayed through the night. Some of you hire employees and you've never even asked God, is this what you should do? Some of you make decisions on business and you haven't even sought that. You've gotten in partnerships that just about destroyed you. And, and all because you never sought the Lord and you never asked God, God, is this what you want? I'm telling you, I would not make a business decision. I wouldn't come into partnership with anybody. I wouldn't hire an employee. I wouldn't go work at a job just because they offered me more money. You need to seek God and see if that's the best for you, if God has that plan set in place. And some of you gotten yourself in a lot of bad problems, a lot of situations. Some of you want to be entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, but you've never once learned how to bring yourself into communion with God so that your entrepreneurship can actually go forward and you just keep doing what all the business models are saying and you cannot do that when you're a believer why because he's going to lead you down paths that no one can write a manual about he's going to guide you and you're like don't hire that one like why come to find out that one would have been messing with your wife bro that's why dummy but it wouldn't have mattered if you were wicked but because you're a christian you don't want that in your life and so you've got to understand these pieces of following and praying and seeking god in fact i read one commentary uh uh, this the scholar wrote that in the book of matthew prior to this moment where jesus goes up on the mountain to pray prior to that moment backing up he actually says to all the disciples the harvest is plentiful the labors are few pray ye the lord of the harvest send forth labors in other words god needs some leaders man things are we have need to change the world god needs some leaders so pray the lord of the harvest and this one theologian thought or assumed that what then maybe transpired was jesus went up on the mountain and only 12 of all those other ones went up there close to him and prayed as well and he saw these guys just halfway down the hill seeking god and those were the ones he picked to actually be his disciples because they actually took what he said seriously i don't know if that's true or not but it's a cool understanding that jesus went and prayed and he expected us to be people of prayer isn't that so say yes amen so here's the first third, if you will, key prayer prayer moment in Jesus' life, and that was after his rejection. After his rejection. So Jesus has this experience, book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 through 26, is this moment where Jesus speaks out and he says, woe unto you, Chorazin, woe unto you, woe unto you, Bethsaida, woe unto you, Capernaum. For if the miracle's done there, for you, that was done for you, where had done, been done for Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented and turned and never been destroyed. What had transpired was these little towns where Jesus would go and minister. And these three specifically, Peter and James and a couple others, were from these. Half of his disciples were from these three towns. So they should have had, if you will, a connection, a, a hookup, a, a family connect line, line. You know, the fact that he had all these guys on his team, the family members should have been like, yeah, 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 because my, my son works for Jesus. He's the real deal. So Jesus gets in the middle of these towns. He does miracles. But at the end of it all, they reject him and will not accept him as the Messiah. Basically, even run him out, if you will, by the rejection of their heart. So much so that Jesus prays a prayer where he says, woe unto you. But when this transpires, we see that Jesus pulls aside and he prays and he seeks God. Why? Because he's just experienced the depth of rejection. Let me explain something to you. If you have not lived long enough to be rejected, you have not lived long enough. Some of you have been through a divorce. Deep rejection. Some of you single guys, you're trying, you're trying to, you thought, you, you thought that one loved you, you thought maybe, and then boom, they went with somebody else. And you just, the depths of rejection, or that you got fired from a job, you know, unjustly, and rejected you, and, and then people have told you you're not good enough, and that kind of thing. Can I tell you something, when Jesus did, the moment he felt that rejection and experienced that rejection, he got on his face, he got in communion with the Godhead, and it strengthened him and empowered him. I have walked through rejection after rejection after rejection, and God 
is the only one who sustained me. And it's because I had a prayer communion life with the Godhead. And friend, can I tell you something? Some of you, the moment you get some kind of depression, some little frustration, you go back to your old habits. You go, you go drinking again. You go smoke another blunt. You go running away. Go run around gossiping and slandering because you grow up in church. So the way you deal with rejection is go talk bad about the people who rejected you to everybody in the church that might have some power to make them feel bad. And you go through all of these little checklists of the natural human, uh, you know, sin nature side instead of what Jesus did. He didn't talk bad about them. He didn't destroy them. He could have whipped them. He could have blown them off the map. Instead, he went and he sought the Father and the Holy Spirit's guidance. And he just went and let that rejection just roll on off. Here's the fourth kind of definitive time or moment where Jesus prayed, and that was at the height of his success. John chapter 6 and verse 15. I'll say this all the time. Failure doesn't, doesn't scare me in people's lives. Success scares me in people's lives. It's amazing. I'll get to praying with someone, believing for them to get a new job, get for something to break through. And not only will they get a new job, then all of a sudden they get promoted. And before you know it, they're so successful. We never see them at church anymore. We never see them loving Jesus anymore. They don't have time to raise their kids properly anymore. They tear, tear away from small group. All because they're so successful. See, success many times will cause us to fall back into old pride and humanistic thinking. Jesus is in this moment where there are 5,000 men. Uh, They counted the men for this particular miracle that he did where he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Um, They didn't count the women. So it could be as much as 15,000 people here experiencing this miracle. And he fed every one of them. Uh, Took the little five loaves and uh, and, and the two little fish and he multiplied it. And some of you know the story from Sunday school back in the day. And when that transpires, the people lose their mind. They're like, he's the Messiah. This is the one. And and the word of God says that Jesus knew that in their hearts they were going to take him and try to make him the king by force. So their plan was, hey, we're going to, we're going to, let's go get our swords. Let's go get our bow and arrows. We're going to kill the Romans and we're going to make Jesus God of Israel. He is the God of Israel. We're going to make him our king by force. We're going to do it. And in the midst of, finally, they get it. Finally, y'all get, I'm the Messiah. But the way you want to handle this is not right. And so as a result, what does he do? He goes up on the mountainside to pray and seek God. He pulls away from them. And they look for him like, where'd he go? And he went away so he could go pray. So that the haughtiness, so that the pride, so that the egotism didn't get it. I, I watched that. I remember when some, I'm old enough to remember when Justin Bieber actually was found. When he put his little YouTube video playing a little song. And he was a little Christian guy, a little good little youth group and a little church. And I remember that his mom came out and said, as they found him. And they're, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake and a couple others are trying to make him a big star. And his mom's wigging out about it because she knew a secret. And that is that all of that success could go to his head. And that man, young man would walk away from Jesus and it happened just the way she said it would. Thank God that he's coming back. Thank God that there's some pastors in this nation that are reaching out to this young man and we see something supernaturally happening and his heart being brought back to the Lord. But I'll tell you something, that mama was right. Success. When you're being successful, the first thing you ought to do is fall on your face. Say, God, keep me in the arms of the living God. Let me not step outside and think that somehow by my own strength I accomplished this. Somehow by my great personality this is transpiring. Frank, can I tell you something? Some of you are in success right now. You ought to be praying. Here's the next piece time that we see Jesus praying or another really key moment and that is when others were in need. And we referenced the moment where Lazarus dies in John chapter 11 verse 41. 
Lazarus has died. Jesus comes on the scene. He's a few days late by way of the, by way of the sister's concept. They're mad and upset about Jesus not being there because while he was sick, they really felt like he could heal them. And Jesus comes in on the scene, and it, his heart is broken. In fact, it's the shortest English verse, Jesus wept. Come on, some of you said that multiple times in Sunday school and won the drill, I remember. And so, and so Jesus wept. Why did he weep? His heart was broken. Now, there's a lot of um, communication about this. He loved Lazarus. He loved the, the sisters. Uh, but there are some definitive pieces that you might want to note, and that is this. In biblical times, and still happens in the Middle East, that women were not allowed to actually do business outside of a covering. They could do business under the name of their husband, under the name, if you will, uh, their name wasn't on the business, under the name of their dad, under the name of their brother, if you will. And still that happens in Middle Eastern countries today. And, uh, And so they would not have been able to do business. So as a result, their parents were obviously already dead because we see that it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so Lazarus, if you will, his name would have been on the lease of the house. His name would have been on the business, anything they tried to do. And with him dead, that would force these ladies to have to, to be removed from their position of any kind of workmanship or any kind of authority, any type of business uh, that they would do. Many times these ladies would end up in prostitution. They would live out in poverty. And so Jesus' heart, I believe, is not just broken at the death of his friend being de- you know, of Lazarus being dead, but he's also broken over what the, what's about to have to happen to these ladies, not having any, in their culture, ability to move forward in their finances and be cared for. And I think it's from that point that he's broken and he's in pain for them. And he stands there before he ever says, Lazarus, come forth. He stands there and the scripture says, and he prayed. Father, I need you. Holy Spirit, bring life to this. I, I, I need you. This is a terrible situation. It's broken. And then, after praying, he calls forth Lazarus and he comes forward. Raises him from the dead. Can I tell you something? I think we do this well as Christians. We really pray for people who are in painful situations. But I think if we're not careful, sometimes we roll past it and don't recognize that when we pray for people going through hardship, that heaven joins with us and miracles can happen. A lot of times I've seen people, you know, someone loses a child and some Christian who doesn't know what to say tries to counsel them and say, well, you know, uh, well, heaven needed another angel. No, they didn't. Don't say that. What you do is you say, can I pray? I don't know what to say. I, I, I'm hurting with you. My pa- the pain. I'm not going to try to give you some crazy counsel for something I heard in a locker room somewhere back in the day. Let's just pray. Can I pray over you? And as you just begin to pray, heaven, heaven ministers life. Heaven, God ministers life. Why? Because we pray. Jesus didn't dare try to raise Lazarus from the dead without praying. He prayed. Because of the pain and the suffering that others were going through. I pray every day, oh God, oh God. I pray every day for those with cancer. God, please heal them. Pray for those that I have a, a point of reference for in our church and relationships and friends that are going through hardship every day. Oh God, I pray for deliverance in this. Oh God, please, you got to come on this. I can't fix it. I can't comfort them, but you can, oh God. And here's the last piece that I would point out where Jesus, the scenario where Jesus really prayed, and that was in the midst of his personal pain. In the midst of his personal pain. And we see this enacted in Luke chapter 22, verse 41. When Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be taken and hung on a cross. He's about to be beaten within an inch of his life. And he brings his disciples into the garden. They've had the last supper. Judas has gone off to, 
to gather the, those who would come and, and, and take Jesus. And Jesus takes his 11 and he says, listen, y'all tarry right here. Y'all pray right here. I'm going to go just a little bit further into the darkness, into the garden. and I'm just going to be with the Father. And as he begins to pray, the Bible says that the intensity, because he feels the pain. The intensity is so strong. I don't know if you've ever had personal pain that's so strong that made you want to quit. But he's in that moment of deep insecurity. His humanity is at play. And we see part of his prayer. And he says, Father, this cup can pass away from me. If we can do it a different way. If we don't have to, if there's any other way, oh, I feel the pain of this. I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I need you. And so much so that it says that he began to drop sweat drops of blood begin to drop from him. The, the capillary is literally busting because of the intensity of the moment. I don't know if you've been in that kind of pain. I have. I've been in that kind of pain where I said, God, I don't want you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want this anymore. It's too difficult. I don't want it. I, I don't want to act right in this thing. It's not fair. It's not right. I don't know if you've ever father begins to ministry, but Jesus has. And in that personal pain, the Father begins to minister, and the Holy Spirit begins to minister to him. And then Jesus makes this statement, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I don't know how I'm going to make it through it. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't even know if I can do it. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what thy want. And this is the problem when most of us get in personal pain. We never go to the Father. We never go before the Lord and commune and just say, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. Instead, what we do is we act like the humans that we are and we take full authority over our life and say, I'm going to do what I got to do for my family and for my situation and it ain't right and I'm going to go act the way I want to act and we never bring it before the Godhead and commune and say, I don't want this. I can't do this. This is too painful. I can't believe she left me for another man. I don't want I just want to kill myself. We never go before the Father and do that. Because if we would do that, then we would, do ex we would experience what Jesus experienced. The grace and the mercy of the Godhead pouring over us. They put our brain back in the right spot. Put our emotions back in the right spot. To the place where Jesus could say, okay, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. I'll do it. I'll do it. And the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon him. To stand in the darkest hour of his life to not quit and not give up. Friend, I tell you something. Some of you, the moment you get in personal pain, you walk away from God. You've done it in years past, but there's a new you happening. And you're going to learn to be a person who communes with God. And when the pain and suffering of life happens, is at life, look, the Bible says not if the day of evil comes, it says when the day of evil comes. And you're going you're gonna to become the type of Christian where you're no longer living here, but this is starting to happen. And now all of a sudden you start learning to commune with God. That's why this prayer series is so important. And you start bringing that before him and he starts balancing it out. And you're not just thinking like I'm just throwing some requests up there. You actually learn how to commune with him and talk to him and wait for him to talk back and have this interaction concept going on in your mind and your heart. And as that happens, peace is going to come. Joy is going to come in the midst of pain and suffering. And that's why you see some of these mamas from back in the day say, oh baby, it's all right. Jesus is still on. i got to get my little shout on. <laughs> and the reason why that is, because they've already learned that in the midst of personal pain, you got to go and commune. And when you start communion, you start hearing things like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I hold you in the palm of my hand. And nothing can separate you from my love. Neither heights, nor debts, nor principalities. Or nothing can separate you, baby girl. You're mine. And then they get that confidence. And that's why when you see them and they're going through tragedy, and they say, oh, Jesus is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And you're looking at that old preacher and you say, how can you say that right now? It's because they've been in communion 
And in that communion, in prayer, remember what is prayer? Communing with God. They've been in that. There's a last piece that I want to close out the teaching today with. And it would be the last prayer that Jesus prayed while on earth. The last prayer, I think that would be pretty noteworthy for us. I think we could learn something pretty significant from it. He's on the cross. And we find his last prayer in the book of John, chapter 17. If you'll turn there with me, just three verses, or four actually, verses 20 through 23. And I'm picking up, there are more verses there, but I'm, I'm highlighting kind of the summary of what he's praying. In verse 20 of John, chapter 17, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you, uh, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you, uh, that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. He just keeps saying it. In verse 23, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete, say the word with me, unity. May they be brought to complete. May they be brought to complete. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Death is at at his throat. He's on the cross. trying to breathe his last breath. Death has come over the top. Darkness has filled the atmosphere. Uh, the, 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 the people are scared because they've never seen the sun black, blocked out like this. He's there, and with his last breath, he doesn't pray, oh God, I pray Christians will be successful. He doesn't pray, oh God, I pray they start more orphanages and build more buildings and preach better. He prays one significant, meaningful, nothing else matters to him other than that. May they be one. Even as you and I are one. He cries out in prayer because Jesus had an understanding that when we are unified, then nothing in the gates of hell could stop us. When we're one, even as he and the Father was one. And he prays this, that that they would be in me as I am in you. And they would be unified with one another, loving one another. And then he makes this statement, which is unbelievable. So that the world may know that you sent me. Can I explain something to you? Jesus is making a statement here that's unbelievable. And that is that unity creates belief. Let it simmer for a second. Get down in you. Unity creates belief. Some of you have some favorite sports teams that you like. At the beginning of the year, you're all excited because all the people that they have gotten on the team, all the new guys coming in, whoo, all these great athletes, superior. But by the end of the year, many of you are like, man, man. And you listen to the commentators, and they always say the same thing. Yeah, they had a lot of talent, but they never got unity. Yep. You had those big personalities with that big money. I was watching the little guy from, from the Cowboys the other night on the news. I'm just going to do what's best for me. I got to do what's best for me. I got to get mines. See you. That's what I would do as a coach. Like, you out. Why? Because when there's a unified front, 
everyone around believes this can happen. When they see unity, when the world sees unity in us, they go, this thing is real. Because they're able to fight through all the misunderstandings, all the pain and suffering, all the personality conflicts, all the black, white, Hispanic racism issues, all the old, young, millennial versus whatever. They can fight through all that and be one. There's something real happening there. That's like Jesus. That's like Jesus. His prayer with his dying breath is, oh, Father, may they be one even as we are one. Can I tell you, if unity, if unity creates belief and faith and trust, then what does disunity propagate? That's why the world says, man, I ain't going to church. All they do is backbite and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. More people tell me, I can't stand organized religion. What they're talking about is our disunity. They're not talking. You've got to have organization. Imagine you show up today and we're just going to do whatever. Just whatever. The kids are everywhere. Woo! Hope you find them. They're back there somewhere. We left the doors open. Some of them wanted to play outside. We just let them go. Imagine. None of us are against order. If you were against order, you would never drive your car. Well, I won't order, doggone. I want you to stand on that side of that little yellow line right there. Put your, put your, get your truck over there. Why are you coming over my side a little yellow line? We let a little yellow stripe on the ground keep us from killing each other. Go to India and see about the little yellow stripe. We like our order. We live by our order. We need order in the church. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring order. That's not what people are talking about. What they're talking about is the disunity that they think is the result of organizing ourselves. That's not, that's, disunity is the result of us not fighting for unity. Guess why? Because we all, all of us value different things. The proof God's in our midst is that we're willing to lay down our rights and love one another. And we're willing to say, you know, I do not like you. But I will love you and I will, I will fight to be in unity with you. And right now... You need to sit over there just for, just for today. Just for today. Just for today. I'm going to love you. I just need, once worship is over, I might be able to, but I just need to, I got to have some communion with the Lord for a second. And he needs to talk me down off the cliff. And as we fight for unity, Jesus said, they will know. They will know that I'm in you and I'm in them and you're in me. Because they'll be one. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to minister to you for just a couple minutes. And get you out of here so you can go take a picture with a six-foot Pastor Adam McCain poster. That's the funniest thinking thing. I can't believe y'all did that. <sighs> Wish I'd have thought about that. That's funny, actually. <clears throat> Jesus closed out his life on the planet praying for unity. How often do we pray for our individuality? And we don't pray for the unification needs. I think most of my prayers are about me. That's shameful, isn't it? About what I think we should be doing. What God, what I need. What if we begin to actually pray for the unity? Praying against whatever causes disunity. What if we sought the Lord on that? What if he spoke to us in our communing, in our praying? What if he said to you, you're the reason you don't have unity because you're too arrogant to actually say you're sorry 
What if, what if the problem with disunity is because we still have fears that dominate our thought process? Well, black guy robbed me back when I was a teenager, so black people are robbers. A white person was in authority at a job I had and wouldn't let me be promoted, so all white people do that. Hispanic person, you know, they're illegal and so they're stealing all the good jobs. What if we, what if we unifra- unified around the love of Christ and that we're all just doing our best to make it through life and that the people who did us wrong back in the day, they're not the people who are standing next to us t- tonight, this morning. And what if we fought to be a unified church? I could teach a series, a 17-part series on what causes disunity. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to fix it is when you and I commune with the Lord. And He softens our heart. He causes us to fall in love again with those that we don't like. And He causes supernatural things to happen in their life because we prayed. I want you to join hands with that person next to you. And I want you to close out this teaching today with the closeout prayer that Jesus had that we would be one. And as you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed and you're praying over the person on either side of you, I want you to also ask the Lord, Lord, what do I have that's prejudice in me? What do I have that creates disunity in my family? Why does my my stepdad treat me like this? Is there something I'm doing? Why is my wife so confused? What am I doing? What's causing disunity? Show me, God, I I want to be in unity. I want to be one with my family? What's causing frustration in my small group? Why are we disunified? Lord, what's wrong with Church on the Hill and spots that's disunified? What's wrong with that department, that area? Lord, what's wrong, Lord God, with my city, with the job that I work? Show me, God. Show me about me. Show me how I can bring and be a part of bringing unity. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as a church. And Jesus, obviously, it was so important to you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, that you cried out with your last breath that we would be a unified front. Therefore, the world would see that we're the real deal. Lost and hurting people would see love that goes beyond rights, goes beyond personal uh, 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 bad experiences of the past, and goes straight to the heart of what really matters, and that we love unconditionally. Oh, God, may Church on the Hill be a church that's unified. May we, our small groups, may we, uh, may our families, may our, uh, our marriages be so full of unity and so full of love and, and so full of understanding and, and covering over one another's sins when we sin against each other and giving grace and mercy and, and, then, and then owning that we blew it and going repenting to others. May this be a church that has the unity that Jesus was praying for. May we do what you asked us to do and become what you wanted us to become. And Lord, whatever stands in the way of that, point it out to us that we can correct it and adjust it because we just want you. We just want you and we want to be what you were, Jesus. You are our pattern. You are our Michael Jordan. You are goal of my life and I pray you're the goal of every member of Church on the Hill's life that when they look in the spiritual mirror they don't compare themselves to Pastor Adam or some spiritual leader or some small group but they compare themselves to you not to some television personality or their favorite podcast person or the person who wrote that book that touched their life no they compare themselves to you Jesus you are the model you are the perfect model And I just want to be like you. If you would let go of that hand next to you for a moment. and Keep your head bowed for just a second. I never never want to gather without giving an opportunity 
For those of you that feel separated from Christ, to be made right in your relationship with Him. If you're in this place today, you're not a Christian. But you feel God's presence and you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you. Maybe you're in this place today and you used to serve the Lord, but something happened. Life happened. You're separated. You're divorced from Jesus. You're not best friends anymore. Maybe you've never been best friends. Maybe you had religiosity, but you never had a real relationship. I want to give you that opportunity. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you would say, well, pastor, what do I do? The Bible says it like this. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, you're just a prayer away. Just a prayer away of asking, how do you start a relationship? You exchange numbers. You start talking. And then you surrender yourself to that love. Today, Jesus proved his love. He proved it 2,000 years ago. He died on a cross. He proved his love to you. And then he didn't just throw you out. He sustains. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying, interceding. Oh, God, I pray that John makes a decision today for me. Oh, God, touch his heart. This is the prayer that Christ is before the throne with. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian and you want to become one, I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I'm not going to call you forward. We don't want to highlight you and say, everybody, look, this is a deep, personal, intimate decision I want you to make. But friend, don't leave this place pushing God away again, pretending and playing games. If you know in the heart of hearts that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven, why? Don't leave this place. You're just a prayer away. In fact, I want to pray with you. And no one's looking around. Every head is bowed and every eye closed. But if that's you, you say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not right with God. I'm away from the Lord. I want to come home. I want to get saved for the first time. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, that's how you feel. And you're ready to make that decision. I want to pray with you. No one's looking. But I want to see your hand. I want you to lift it and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I'm ready to get right with God. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? Quickly. Throw it up. Give you about two seconds. Thank you, sweet love. Put it up and down. Make sure I see it. Anybody else? God bless you. Amen. There's been a number of hands couple more seconds anybody I want to give you a moment I want you to have your moment this is it amen you put your hands down now I'm going to lead you in a prayer a prayer of connecting you and Jesus together a prayer of confession a prayer of repentance a prayer of asking Jesus into your life I don't think there's anything magical about the words I think what's supernatural is you lifted your hand and said I want God and I want to lead you in that prayer of connectivity prayer of repentance In fact, I'm going to everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with those who lifted their hands. But those who lifted your hand, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. But I ask you now to forgive me. Wash me clean. Transform my life. In this holy moment, I declare Jesus is my Lord. I accept what you did on the cross for me. I accept your grace and your mercy. And here and now, I declare, Jesus is my Lord. Say it again, Jesus is my Lord. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman who lifted their hand, even those who didn't quite get their hand up, but inside of them they were praying that prayer. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name they would sense and feel the peace that comes with being right 
of having the elephant removed from the room. The peace, the, the joy that comes that, you know, maybe, maybe they don't have it all figured out. There's no way. But to know that they're yours. To know that, Lord God, when those lies come, oh, you didn't really mean that prayer. You're going to go right back to your old self. No, they can say, no, 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 no. No, I did not. I meant that. And I will not go back to my old ways. And even when they make a mistake, you'll pick them up and carry them. That peace that's unbelievable. A joy. A joy of having newness of life. May they sense that now. Lord, we declare your goodness over this moment. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.